Welcome to Call to Reset, episode number three. Today is March the 17th, 2021. Happy St. Patty's Day. I'm wearing my green. I have my first hat I ever wore. It's got a little blue, red, and white there. It looks kind of like a French flag, but it's just because it's my favorite three colors. But anyway, hats off on the ha in the house. Now, you could say I'm a man of many hats, not because of talent and ability per se, as the phrase is supposed to mean, but because I just have a lot of hats. Maybe one day I'll show you a picture of me wearing a bunch of them or all of them. Well, anyway, today's episode is the law of emergency. But first, I want to give some additional information and a correction from the last podcast, number three. In the last episode, The Law is Silent, I did mention that I might provide some show notes or a transcript of this episode. I did, in a couple of places. It's in the form of a PDF file, and you can find it on my blog, which is call, C-A-L-L-T-O, call to reset, R-E-S-E-T, dot wordpress dot com. But anyway, this is the only copy that I have of a paperback. That's my edit form. I'm working on it. Maybe one day I'll get the paperback, which will be a little bit cheaper. And uh, I'm trying to work on some uh, audio portions of the book as well. But for more information about the book, you can go to resetbook.com. Today's information is somewhat complex, and I may read a lot of it, or most of it. It is important, but I wrote it or I will quote it. Much, but not all of it, comes from my book. Again, I may post the show notes or a transcript for this episode. I think it would be a good idea for you to read it so you could see exactly, you know, what I'm saying here. <clears throat> but in 1863, the U.S. Congress passed the Conscription Act and President Lincoln signed it. It produced the first wartime draft in, of United States citizen in American history. The act called for registration of all males between the ages of 20 and 45, including aliens with the intentions of becoming citizens by April 1st, 1863. There were compassionate exceptions and ex exemptions. Other exceptions from the draft could be by finding a substitute draftee. Well, who could you send in your stead? Could someone under the age of 20 or over the age of 45 be drafted? Yes, with permission of their caretaker or parent if they're under the age of 20, or if they're over the age of 45, they could volunteer. But in both circumstances, they still had to be approved by the draft board in order for them to be found to be fit for service. Well, who else could you send? Perhaps a slave. Yes, blacks were not required to go to the draft board. 
they were exempted because they were neither considered to be citizens or aliens intending to be citizens, but still many of them volunteered. Another exemption from the draft could be bought for $300, which some believe today would be worth three dollars to $5,000 and upwards of $30,000. These intended or unintended clauses led to the consequences of the bloody draft riots in major cities, including New York City. Protesters in New York were especially outraged that exemptions were effectively granted only to the wealthiest U.S. citizens. Now, here's a correction. In speaking about the draft riot in episode three, I mistakenly said Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau, in response to the horrible consequences of that riot, said black, black, black. This riot occurred July 13th through the 16th in 1863. Thoreau died in 1862, so I don't think he was there. The quote is from my book, but the author is not attributed there because I did not know who said it then, and I don't know who said it now. It could have been Walt Whitman, but I do not know this either. Still, I stand by the quote, black, 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 no matter who said it or whose identity I can or cannot prove, it's still accurate. It is easy to imagine what people living in that area the morning of July 16, 1863, would have seen and felt as smoke rose to crowd out the sun, black, black, black. And as if the sewers had been opened and some reptilian force in the guise of humans had risen under the cover of black, black, black. This would certainly describe the behavior of people that had lost their minds and nearly destroyed the city. Black, black, black. Certainly describes this the worst riot in the history of these United States to this day. Is there any wonder why we are not taught these things in school? Black, black, black is our nature to erase, forget, and to not want to be reminded of the evils that we have done and do to each other. Last time we dealt with the law is silent. It is one of four things <clears throat> that we need to know and understand. It is part of a mathematical axiom, which means, you know, it's accepted as true. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Today, here's another or a second one, the law of emergency. Although these exact words or the word emergency does not appear in the Constitution, they're in it in sum and substance or implied. How is this so? Here's a quote. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. That's an excerpt from Article 1, Section 9, U.S. Constitution. This section is primarily about Congress. First notice that the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus, which is the right to a civil trial, shall not be suspended unless rebellion, invasion, public safety require it. 
public safety may require it is another way of stating this under extraordinary occasions. On extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them, and in case of disagreement between them with respect to the time of adjournment, he may adjourn them to such time as he shall think proper. That's an excerpt from Article 3, Section 3, Executive U.S. Constitution. This is speaking specifically about the executive branch and the President of the United States, who's the head of the executive branch. In other words, the President has additional power, which is to convene both houses of Congress and adjourn them on extraordinary occasions. But also on extraordinary occasions, as did President Abraham Lincoln, the President can, in the absence of Congress, call out the military or call up the militia, the National Guard, to active status. He can and did suspend habeas corpus, deny the right to a civil trial. These he could do under the Constitution in the absence of Congress. The public safety required it in cases of invasion, rebellion, insurrection, or if the public safety require it. The Constitution does not define extraordinary occasions, nor how long they last. Neither does it define what public safety is, nor how long it is supposed to last. But extraordinary occasions is equal to public safety, and both are equal to some emergency. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Just remember these things, all things in the constitutions have limits. Yes, war has limits. In times of war, the law is silent. The Conscription Act and the Labor Code had limits. A state of emergency has limits. Sooner, not later, things are supposed to return to ordinary occasions. It does not rain every day, maybe a lot of days, and the sun doesn't come out and shine every day either. Everything in life and everyone has limits. There are only two reasons why things remain under ordinary, under extraordinary occasions. It's either intentional or it's a mindset doing the same thing over and over again without even thinking about it. But the law of emergency has continued to this day and time and hour, and the year is 2021. Just like in the times of war, the law is silent, has since 1860 to 1863. Let us hear and reason together over some of the words by Thomas Jefferson way, way back in the middle and the latter ends of the 1700s. And to preserve their independence, we must not let our rulers load us with perpetual debts. We must make our election between economy and liberty or profusion and servitude. If we run into such debts as that we may be taxed in our meat and in our drink and our necessaries and our comforts and our labors and our amusements for our callings and our creeds as the people of England are, our people like them must come to labor 16 hours in the 24 and give the earnings of 15 of these, the 16th being insufficient to afford us bread we must live as they now do on oatmeal and potatoes. Have not time to think, no means of calling the mismanagers to account, but be glad to obtain subsistence by hiring ourselves 
to rivet their chains on the necks of our fellow sufferers. Thomas Jefferson, The Making of America, page 395. Wow, was that prophetic or was it just common sense and experience? Well, here is a summation of pretty much how government does stuff. Crimes, excuse me, court crimes, revenue raising activities. Court crime, revenue raising activities. Abraham Lincoln argued in his first inauguration, March 4th, 1861, that the union is perpetual. If not expressed in the Constitution, it is implied, he said, but it's only perpetual, perpetual if we, the people, allow it to be, allow it to continue. And he also made that clear in his address. And he also incorrectly stated that the Constitution essentially has no trigger article, section, clause, or single word to destroy itself or replace itself. There is not a single word to replace the Constitution. Not a single word, but there are three. We, the people. This is where we, the people, started. We, the people, the Constitution, the government, three branches in the following order. Legislative was first the executive, and third is the judiciary. Designated and limited powers, only on occasion, extraordinary occasions. Executive, president. Now this is where we, the we little ones, are now. The government, not we the people, but the government, three branches in the following order. The executive, first, not second, the executive, the legislative, the judiciary. Then we've got invasion. We've got Libra Code. We've got martial law. we got the U.S. government as being sovereign. I thought we were sovereign. U.S. government incorporated. U.S. Code, regularly renewed state of emergency. We the persons. All property equals public property and enemies of the state. Mind-boggling, isn't it? The order is all mixed up, messed up. But it has started with we, the people, downward, the executive under legal fiction. That's coming up. Look at, took it down to we, the people. Guess what? We got it. We get it. And we can reset it. Let's jump ahead past 1863 and see if anything else extraordinary continues. Let's try 1933. Well, in 1933... Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Proclamation 2038, March 5th, 1933. He convened both houses of Congress, too, for a national emergency. Well, it's obvious that President Roosevelt consulted the Constitution from the words extraordinary occasion used in his proclamation, presidential order. But to me, this also implies that he was not aware of the actions by, or the acts, by President Lincoln from 1861 to 1863, still stood. And the entire country was still under a state of emergency, under the law was silent because it was still times of war. Now let's take a quick trip and stop at the modern progression of the concept of the state of emergency beginning in 1917. This was... 1917, October 6th, another act called Trading with the Enemy Act. 
During World War I, Woodrow Wilson submitted and Congress passed this act. The prime intentions were to define, regulate, and punish trading with the enemy, among other purposes. This act defined who the enemies were and gave government total authority over those defined as enemies. But there was one exception. Quote, other than citizens of the United States, excerpt from the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917. And then it goes on, and you can read this in the notes if I put them up there, but I'm pretty sure I probably will. What he can take, earmarkings of gold, silver, coin, bullion, currency, pretty much anything, any asset. Then in 1933, there was an Emergency Banking Act, March 9, 1933. Most of us remember in school the Great Depression and hearing about it. But in 1933, there was a banking emergency. What few may understand is the emergency was basically that the government was bankrupt. Those that owned the loans or extended credit to the government essentially called in their loans. The debt, or at least the interest on the debt, was due. Paper money was not acceptable. The creditors wanted to be paid in gold. Well, the first problem with that, there's only a limited supply of gold in the entire world, and the United States only has a limited supply. The second problem is that the United States owed more than it had to pay the debt. Now, why did government spend more than it took in in the first place? Our debt was forgiven. Isn't that great? But in exchange for what? Gold and future contracts for interest on future loans. Shortly after this, all gold was confiscated and it became illegal to own gold except for those in business, let's say like a jeweler or a dentist, and virtually no one could be you know, it was illegal to be carrying around any, any significant amount of gold. And that stood from 1933 until 1973, 40 years later, when President Gerald Ford removed that restriction. But back in 1933, President Roosevelt called for a special and extraordinary, another extraordinary occasion, session of Congress and Proclamation 2038. At that session, he presented a bill, an act to provide for relief in the existing national emergency in banking and for other purposes. The confiscation of gold and the removal of gold and silver from being the legal, lawful tender of the United States to pay his bills and replacing it with Federal Reserve notes prevent the government from operating according to the Constitution. And it prevents the states from doing so as well under ordinary occasions and extraordinary occasions. According to the World Council, there's approximately 230, there was approximately $232 billion of gold in the entire world based on the price of gold on October 14, 2011. That's pretty old. I don't know what it is now. But anyway, it was just over 1,600 an ounce. According to the U.S. men at Fort Knox, Kentucky, at those then current prices, we had about $15 billion of the total world supply of gold. Our current debt is how many trillions of dollars? It was the same situation in 1933. The government owed more than it had the ability to pay. Now, I get it that there's only so much gold. The point is that the Constitution requires the debts to be paid in gold or silver. So couldn't Congress have proposed 
the states ratified an amendment and used some other tender or an alternative or additional besides gold and silver for payment of debts, public and private? Yes. Was this done? No. Why not? Under extraordinary occasions or a state of emergency, the Congress did not have to operate under ordinary occasions. Anyway, back to the Emergency Act of 1933. The actions, regulations, license, order, proclamation hereto, blah, 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 goes on and on and on and on and on. on. Any actions, orders or proclamations, presidential orders from that time forward made by the president were or would be approved and confirmed. That's like giving a blank check to the president. So pretty much whatever the president wants is already approved in advance. Does this all sound familiar today? Go see for yourself and check into the current presidential orders. Go look at 12 USC section 95B of the United States Code. Is it still on the books? Does it still apply today? Yep. Oh, and by the way, remember the law of 1917? That did not include citizens of the United States as enemies of the state. But the Emergency Banking Act of 1933 had an amendment. Section 2 states, I won't read the whole thing, I'll just read the parts that are underlined, and you can go check this out yourself. But any other time of national emergency, not just during time of war, all you have to do is have a national emergency, and we're still in a national emergency. So this still applies. And then it goes down to the very end almost, and it says any person within the United States or any place subject to the jurisdiction thereof. From March 9th, 1933, as long as this law remains on the books, every single person, not individuals, but persons, including corporations, are all public property and enemies of the state. As far as any commercial, monetary, or business transactions were concerned, are concerned, United States citizens were, are no longer any different from any other enemy of the United States. All persons are surety for transactions. Persons and future persons are the backing for all debts of the government. In exchange for servitude, Persons are granted privileges and immunities, freedoms. What? You and I, since March 9th, 1933, were born into slavery, and we are slaves still. This includes, by the 14th Amendment, anyone 88 years of age or older still living today. Our worth to the creditors is based on our possessions and real estate, not property, and our skills, talents, and abilities the credits can take plus interest to satisfy the debt. Now we know who owes the trillions of dollars of debt. You, me, and our children's children. Well, I don't know about you, but I want reparations. Monetary or other compensation payable by all these people that did this to every single individual for a historical wrong. And with interest. In 1933, <clears throat> this one I'll read, Congressman Beck had this to say about the state of emergency. I think of all the damnable heresies that have ever been suggested in connection with the Constitution, 
The doctrine of emergency is the worst. It means that when Congress declares an emergency, there is no Constitution. This means it's death. But the Constitution of the United States as a restraining influence in keeping the federal government within the carefully prescribed channels of power is moribund at the point of death, if not dead. We are witnessing its death agonies for when this bill becomes a law, if unhappily it becomes a law, there is no longer any workable constitution to keep the Congress within the limits of its constitutional powers. Congressman James Beck in the Congressional Record, 1933. Well, unhappily, it did become law. Now let's fast forward to 1973. Let's look at another little thing that called the War Powers Resolution of November 7th, 1973. I'm not going to read it either. You can go check that out. But basically, it passed, and I want you to know, and I want you to hear what just 12 days later after it passed, what the Senate report had to say about that joint resolution. Quote, since March 9, 1933, the United States has been in a state of declared national emergency under the powers delegated by these statutes. The president may seize property, organize and control the means of production, seize commodities, assign military forces abroad, institute martial law, seize and control all transportation and communication, regulate the operation of private enterprise, restrict travel, and in a plethora of particular ways, control the lives of all American citizens. A majority of the people of the United States have lived all their lives under emergency rule. For 40 years, now it's 88, freedoms and the governmental procedures guaranteed by the Constitution have, in varying degrees, been abridged by laws brought into force by states of national emergency. From at least the Civil War, in important ways, shape the present phenomenon of a permanent state of emergency. Senate Report, 93rd Congress, November 19, 1973. A permanent state of national emergency? How can this be? Extraordinary occasions have never returned to ordinary occasions. Limits have become limitless. It is the same as in, in times of war, the law is silent. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. Now, I want to close this out on a high note. I hope you get the humor in this, but government's lack of preparation, studying the Constitution, on their part, does not warrant an emergency on our part. For a greater understanding, we need to look to the next item on our list, number three of four, next time, legal fiction. Yes, such a thing does exist, and it's legal, and it is a legal term. We have come too far together not to continue. There's hope coming. This is a call to reset, and this is coming too. Well, in the words of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, happy trails to you until we meet again. See you next time.